We are I. Right, Bridges, probably good that we had the COVID war and actual war and all that stuff talk before we got on here with being yeah. it's controversial and probably would have sucked in all of our time and want to spend it like I was just saying, um, a little bit of a more constructive uh, conversation, you know, just around the change of seasons and consciousness and what that means. So which one would you like to start on today? And Let's we can start dive? with the seasons. And, yeah. and like I said, one of the main reasons why, because like obviously we're a transition between you know winter and spring, and I don't know, uh, does New York do like daylight savings time? Yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah. so you guys are archaic, just like what we are still right now too. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just kind of like you know, like just like the the changing, like what are some of the things that we should be doing to be able to prepare for the changes season? You know, like what are some of the things you know maybe around the house or foods or things we should be doing personally. Um, fill us in, enlighten us all. Okay. So from an Eastern medicine standpoint, any change of seasons is a time of change period. So some people are predisposed to naturally rolling with the seasonal change and some people it will bring up, um, some inner turmoil and that's okay because it's just like spring cleaning of one's home. We're doing spring cleaning since we're moving into spring season of our bodies and our minds as well. It's, it's like highlighting the time of year that we can cleanse and purge and process the stuff that just kind of sat and settled for the winter built up over the winter. So it's definitely a good time to open the windows, let in fresh cheese, and microbes from the outside. It's a good time to be outside, to go for walks. In the Chinese medicine um, canons, it's recommended that women let down their hair and let the breeze go through their hair in the springtime. Um, or men, whoever has long hair. <laughs> One of the greatest do a cleanse. Um, what, what we in the West understand as a cleanse anyway. So doing, um, paying more attention to the diet and the diet is not just what we eat and drink, but the diet is also what we are consuming through our eyes and our ears. Anything that we take in through the body, um, even what we smell, essential oils or whatever it may be, to be paying attention to what it is that we're exposing ourselves to and what information is coming in and maybe thinking about letting some of it go, not being on devices so much, not being on social media so much where there could be some information that makes us feel negative emotional states, for example. Because the time of year that we're in right now is we're moving into liver time. And so the liver energy in Eastern medicine is, is very profound and important for helping us feel like we are on our path in life and that we can go with the flow. And 
when the liver energy becomes dominant, then issues related to not feeling like we can go with the flow and be at ease inside of our bodies and be at ease mentally, those things are tied into liver energy and they will be exacerbated at this time of year. And so um, it's important to be mindful of what we're doing sort of externally outside of ourselves so that we can be more peaceful and calm internally inside of ourselves. And as far as the actual physical diet goes, as we understand it, um, it's a, it's the time of year where we can start eating lighter foods, more green vegetables, more things that become seasonally appropriate, easy to digest. So in the winter time, the digestive fire goes deep into the body and it's very, very strong. Um, and so we can eat heavier foods in the winter. We have a better capacity to digest fats, for example. But then as we move into the lighter days and we move into the warmer temperatures um, where the air becomes actually a little bit drier, then we are moving into a time where we do not have the same capacity we had in the wintertime to digest things. So we oftentimes think of winter as like a hibernation time or whatever, but actually it's quite the opposite internally. We have more robust energy in the wintertime because we have our deep, our yang cheese gone deep and we can really digest. It's like we have more power in a sense. Um, and so as we move into spring, what's happening with the body is that it is going through a natural cleanse process. So the body is actually starting to push out any accumulated gunk from a sedentary winter or an active winter. Any gunk that's accumulated during the winter, the body starts to naturally release. And we can see this with more mucousy conditions. A lot of people have spring allergies. And this is from an Eastern medicine standpoint, it is because the energetic of spring is just like what we feel kind of emotionally in springtime that we want to open up and we want to clear out. And so the body is naturally doing that. So we want to give the body foods and fluids that are easy to digest, that are lighter, that are more seasonably appropriate so that the body, it doesn't have to work so hard on digestion and assimilation. Instead, it can work on that process of pushing stuff up and out toward the surface for release. And that's very much the liver energy in the body, up and out toward the surface. The liver, if you think about it from a very fundamental five element standpoint, has a really growing, like, um, like a more of an, a motivational energetic to it. If you think about roots growing into the earth and a, a seed that sprouts and the, and the stalk coming up through the ground, think about the amount of power and volition that it takes for it to, to achieve that movement and to grow, grow, grow and to reach toward the sun. And so that's kind of like, our energetic, our body's energetic in the springtime as well is that we need that 
We need that spaciousness. We need that room to expand and to grow. And, um, you know, obviously as adults, we may not be growing into our, our form anymore, but we are still growing mentally and spiritually and we need more space. So that's why we open the windows. We let in the light. We clear out things we've collected that we can let go of. And we also lighten our load as far as information coming in, obligations we commit ourselves to. I mean, there's so many ways you can look at this. Um, and so springtime is actually one of the best times of year. If you have been thinking about doing a cleanse or or just, you know, kind of a lot of times we focus on New Year's, the the Western New Year's for you know, making a resolution and changing all these things, but really spring is that time. And that's why in the East, it's according to the lunar calendar and it's, um, and, and we just had Chinese new year in February, Tibetan new year last week. And that's because of this, this emergent energetic that happens at this time. And this is the time to shift things and change and roll with it and go with your intuition about things it's really important to do that right now do you think that it's harder or people are in more disarray now um because like you would think uh, there was a long period of time where people were exposed to the seasons changing by being outside but now we're in these very like you know mono-like environments where you know like your home is always 68 to 70 degrees you know, like you're like, we, we aren't exposed, like you said, to um, like new allergens, you know, coming like into our bodies unless we open up a window. Like it is because we are inside so much during the winter and then all of a sudden we just burst at the seams to get outside. We get inundated with like all this life and energy and, you know, like different allergens and pollens. Like, do we have, do you think people have a harder time adjusting to that now? Like why there might be like more seasonal allergies now where people are affected by them because there's not a gradual change, you know, just like in a circadian rhythm where, you know, like there's a gradual change every single day, either to longer days or shorter days. It's not all of a sudden just one day, which is why we get, you know, jet lagged when we, we travel and stuff like that. Right. Like, do you think that there's a similar um, assimilation to, you know, like the changing of the seasons because we are not taking it as in a gradual dose, just, all of a sudden one day you wake up and you're like, it's nice outside and I see leaves on the trees and I'm going to go outside, but then you just get like get flooded with these allergens in the body. Well, I think that that can certainly play a role. I think that all of the toxins that we're exposed to that we don't even know about that our body has to deal with that may look like things to our body that should be seemingly harmless that the body reacts to can be part of it. Um, but like we had a really strange winter here, for example, we had, uh, not a lot of snow until the last like three weeks, really. And people did get out. Um, so, and I think especially with the past couple of years with COVID people made more of an effort to get outside in the, in the winter this year and people traveled a lot and also, keep in mind that the body, even though we're in this sort of like semi-sterile environment of our homes, the body still knows, the body still feels it. We still recognize it when we hear the robins start singing. 
you know, we still feel that, that thaw that comes before like the really nice weather in spring. We feel that we feel that restlessness inside. Um, so it's not like we're completely disconnected just because we don't live outdoors anymore. But yes, I do think that the toxins and our and off gassing and all of that, um, you know, we go into genetically modified foods and God knows what's traveling through the air as far as radio and microwaves and cell waves and Wi-Fi and all that. Like we don't even know what that does, if anything, which probably does something. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's a little bit of both. It's like, we still have, we, we still have one foot in the natural world, even though we're not maybe consciously focused on it, but we do have all of these other challenges that could be contributing to a heightened, um, incidence of immune dysregulation. Yeah, it just sounds like it's like I spent a lot of time outside and this weekend um, I went up to uh, like one of my family members has uh, a place that's about four and a half hours away from here. You know, it's like, nestled at the bottom of two mountains. There's a river, famous river, Shushroff River. He lives right across the street from it. And it's a really, he actually lives in a, in a place that I do it'd be more like a village. And there's a, a town just down the road, like 10, 15 minutes. But it's very quaint, very small. I love going up there. I, I go up there very fr- frequently, but we were fishing on the weekend and just, you know, standing in the river, you know, with the sun beating down on you, it's like, it's hot. You hear the water running, you see the trees, the eagles are flying over, you know, like there's a, there's all this. And so then we get back home and on Monday morning, I was like, wow, I'm like, I know this, but it's, I always get these like wake up calls when I've spent too much time. And for me, like it could just be weeks. It's not even months or years for what most people probably, but um, it changes the way that I think it changes the way that I emotionally respond to things. I feel like I'm more open, you know, to like situations. I feel like I can process information better. I'm not as emotionally attached to things. So like I, I make better decisions at work um, you know, like personal life, I'm just like, I know I'm easier to be able to deal with. I feel happier. Like my heart, my mind, my body, my soul, my everything just feels good. And I'm constantly reminded about what being out in those elements can do for people. And especially like everybody always feels so much better in the spring, you know, like what you're, you know, alluding to where it's just, it's the, People want to run like this summer dresses come out, the clotheslines come out, you know, like the windows are open, you know, like the spring cleaning, the trimming of the hedges. And it's like life has started all over again. And you see this in so many different representations, but it's something that I know that I connect with so much, but there's no other season that does that to me, or it's not, it doesn't seem like there's as much of a stark contrast between how I was feeling and how I'm feeling now, but the transition between winter and spring. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I really, I, and then I don't know whether it's just because from spring on, you're just, you're basking in that environment that feels, um, you know, like so good, you know, like it's warm out, you want to be out, you want to be able to do things and participate in, in more stuff outside. But it's, uh, I just noticed such a huge contrast uh, between uh, winter and spring for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think most people do feel that way. 
So like, like foods, you kind of alluded to, you know, like in the, um, in the wintertime, we could process things that are a little bit more fatty or a little bit more dense. Like mm. what are some of the things uh, besides, you know, just looking into more of like your leafy greens or, you know, things like that. Like what, what are some things that we should eliminate or incorporate through uh, the change of season now into spring? I would be mindful of the quantity of food that one is eating. And obviously I always, you know, recommend not snacking if you can help it, not eating late at night, same guidelines that, you know, I always recommend, but I'll tend to recommend some green juices a little bit more in the spring just to help the liver energy. Cause if you think about that, anything that's working, 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 it's like generating heat, right? And the liver energy is like so prominent right now that it can be generating more heat in the body. So things that help to cool it down. And a lot of us have, um, uh, Vaidya Mishra talks about this. He's an Ayurvedic doctor. A lot of us already have quote unquote hot livers to the point where he doesn't even administer oral herbs. Most of the time he'll give like dermal patches that deliver the nutrients to the body. Um, that that green juices help to cool down that hot liver, whether the hot liver is from a low stress tolerance or like we're talking about not getting outside enough for fresh air or connecting with nature and and the chi being stagnant, not moving enough or toxins we get exposed to that we may not even know about, toxins in our food, air, water, uh, off-gassing inside our houses or our cars. So, you know, all of those things need to get filtered by the liver for the most part. And, um, and so it gives it a lot to do. And right now it has a lot to do anyway, because it's, it's highlighted time of year. The spotlight is on the liver energy. So, um, so I often will recommend some green juices for people. And there are some really nice cold pressed juices that are available just over the counter in the um, supermarkets, at least here in the U S and so I'll recommend those or people can juice them on their own. Um, and I always recommend adding a little bit of ginger just to get that little bit of heat that the body may need, that the digestive fire may need in order to really um, assimilate the nutrition from those juices. But yeah, incorporating more leafy greens, more vegetables right now, um, leaning into things like that that are lighter in the sense that they do not promote the accumulation of mucus in the body. So if if you eat something and you have to like continuously clear your throat afterwards or you feel mucusy, then you know that that's something that you may want to steer away from in the spring. What is this? So you brought up something that I've actually been tossing around for like the last few weeks too, is that what's your perspective on like juices or like greens, powders, um, uh, like taking a multivitamin, multimineral um, in regards to things that you should take with that? Because like, obviously we know that there's some water soluble, you know, vitamins or some fat soluble vitamins you know, like, uh, like glucose is a, a delivery system and method that, you know, like some companies use to be able to shell the nutrients in. Um, like, w- should you be taking like something in conjunction with a, like a cold pressed juice, just to make sure that you're absorbing all the nutrients that you should or taking them around like a time, like, are, are we compromising the amount of nutrition that we can get out of these things by not 
making it a little bit more well-rounded or robust for ourselves to be able to absorb the nutrients that are in the juice? Well, I'm not saying not to have the foods that are in the juice also. So just to make that clear, like I'm not saying just go out and just drink juices, which some people might think, um, but add that to, you know, your daily routine just to cool the liver. If you get thirsty, have a, have a juice or half a bottle of juice. And like I said, if you're going to make it, adding the ginger helps to um, helps with assimilation and absorption, but you're right. Every single thing isn't going to end up in that bottle. Um, so that's why those foods should still be incorporated into the diet. Um, so you would, if you're going to have a juice, would you do it as like, like after your first meal of the day or like later on in the day? So you have, um, you know, like some, some fat, some glucose, some, you know, like other things floating around in your body that, you know, maybe some of those nutrients get attached to for absorption purposes, you or would you that. take, yeah. yeah. But you don't want to drink too much around the time you eat either. Right. So, cause you don't want to dilute it too much. So you have to find that balance or maybe do it like an hour after you eat. Yeah. Yeah. I find like those are kind of the, some of the little, um, the little pro tips, you know, maybe you want to call them that that never really get explained that, you know, like, Hey, like, it's great that you're going to drink this juice or it's great that you're going to take this multivitamin and mineral or this powder or whatever it may be, you know, but like also keeping in consideration that, you know, it should be around like a time or times that we're taking these other things just so you can actually pull all the nutrients out of it. Oh, the reason why that you're trying to do these things in the quest of better health anyway. Yeah. And especially for people that are prone to bloating, gas, constipation. I don't recommend a lot of powders um, because those types of symptoms are tied into the Vata energy in the body. And that's a very dry energy. And so adding moistening things to the diet would be what I'd recommend for people that are in that boat. Um, as opposed to things that are dry. Cause yes, they get mixed into the water, but still it's got, a, it's got the quality of dry to it still, you know? Um, so that's just one thing to, to be mindful of. So, because some people will do powders like, you know, once or twice a day, and that'll be a meal replacement kind of thing. And there is no replacement for adequate whole food nutrition yeah and it's you know things kind of steering towards there so like i was having this conversation with somebody the other day about all these um so-called like plant-based foods or you know like this like goo that's you know molded into things where it's the what's your perspective on just like the quality of that food because it's not a naturally occurring food like i did i let Left is, you know, like driving past a place like 7-Eleven, it's like chicken, plant-based chicken tenders. I'm just like, just call them like a plant-based stick. Why do you have to call them a plant-based chicken tender? Like there's not chicken in it, you know, and and then I see in some guy uh, walking through how to make a vegan egg. And it was this like 15 minute long process of like forming this little bowl and putting in this gel mold thing with you know, turmeric to be able to change the color to make it look like a yolk. And I'm like, who would spend that amount of time to be able to make an egg 
which theoretically represents the death that you're trying to steer away from, but you want to have it bubbling and gurgling like in the frying pan, which I don't even understand that perspective of it either. But like a lot of these new kind of ultra air quotes, healthy foods are super processed and essentially just goos that are put into molds. Um, Like what, what's your perspective on those things? I talk about this a lot in the second book. It's a processed food. So from an Ayurvedic standpoint, it's on the limit consumption of list because it's not easy for the body to digest that. It's just not. And so um, it's like junk food vegetarianism, really. Fast food vegetarianism, which is fine. You know, I eat, you know, whatever, no chicken nuggets sometimes. <laughs> I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying I'm like some kind of crazy purist or something, but I don't do it every day. I don't do it multiple times a week. I just, like you said, it's very, it's processed. It's the same thing with a lot of the foods that people turn to when they, when they decide they're going to go gluten-free, you know? Um, If you look at the packages of many of those products, they have like 30 ingredients, whereas bread that has gluten in them gluten in it has like three or four ingredients right so it's like it's kind of common sense that it would fall into that processed food category but I think that people think because it's not meat that it's healthy and it's actually quite difficult to digest yeah that and and the part that I find to be the the most ironic is like a lot of these products are new like they just came out these products Yet they're using a lot of ingredients we've known for decades is to be terrible for you. So it's like, <laughs> why wouldn't you, if you're making this new, this new product, you have an opportunity to be able to put all this great, you know, all like theoretically great stuff into it. But why still resort back to using a lot of these ingredients that we know are terrible for the body? Probably. So like, I find that just to be such an interesting contrast with like, you know, and and now how beyond meat and that whole beyond price like i didn't realize that it's not even they're not even trying to sell that they're better or good for you now I, the latest marketing ploy from them was that uh there you reduce your carbon footprint you know because it's right. you're not consuming an animal product and i was like well yeah but like when you're getting these things shipped around from all over the world to be able to create this product there's a lot of environmental impact there. So how can you even sell this carbon component too? But I'm like, that's just how low down on the rung, like this, this product has got that was supposed to like change the world. And, you know, pretty much in the next year, it seems like it's just going to fade to black and everybody's going to forget that it existed. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, so for the next 400 hours, let's talk about consciousness. Okay. <laughs> I know this is such like a big, a big topic. Like it's, you know, obviously there's a lot of components to it. And when I was explaining to you before, um, I don't know if a lot of people fully understand what consciousness really is or the feelings they should have associated with it because it's generally relatively undefined um, or, you know, like there's definitions of it, but like there's not something very concrete and tangible saying like, this is exactly what consciousness is. This is exactly how you tune into it. And this is exactly how you'll feel when you're there. Um, So 
again, uh, let, let's dive into it from local to non-local to, you know, Ayurvedic to TCM to psychedelics. Like, let, blow it all open and we'll see where we can go with the time restraints that we have. Okay. Well, first of all, consciousness is very deeply rooted into our beliefs of who we are and what it means to be alive what life means, what existence means, if we believe in God, if we don't, if we believe there's a soul, if we don't. So right off the bat, everyone is starting with a preconceived bias toward what consciousness really is. And then from there, we can look at, there are modern day philosophers who who, who specialize in exploring consciousness. David Chalmers is one and Susan Blackmore um they've written books on consciousness from a from a scientific standpoint there is a consciousness studies department at the university of arizona that explores what consciousness is so it's very interesting and and um i get the sense from hearing um some of the people the scientists speak who are involved in consciousness studies that they're actually quite spiritual people but they're willing to allow their emotional tied beliefs to be questioned. And that's not something everyone is willing to do because it's very threatening. Um, and then well, we- it also leaves you in like this place of like, when you start to question who am I or what am I or where am I? I've noticed a lot of people once they kind of get there and they let those barriers down, it's like, well, what does that mean? Like, where's the direction for my life now? You know, like you can, like, there's almost like this, this vortex, you know, or like this, you know, you've walked in, you know, to the twilight zone and you're, or you're just standing in this area. You're like, okay, well, well, where do I go with life now? What I believed may or may not be true. What I thought or who I thought I was may or may not be true you know, like all the, um, you know, theories that I had floating my, around in my mind may or may not be true. Well, where do I go now? Like, what, what does tomorrow mean? Or what does today mean today? Mm. And that's part of the beauty of psychedelics, right? Because they can offer an experience of something outside the normal realm of awareness. And it's, it's, some, it's like a taste of the fact that there is more than what we ordinarily perceive but it's a temporary, you know, it's a timed thing. So we just get like little windows or little glimpses. Um, and then we come back to the place that we're in and then again, have those questions. Um, so, so you mentioned local versus non-local. So local consciousness is like uh, two people sitting in a room we're able to talk to each other. We can reach out and touch each other. That the local consciousness is, is in a certain time and space. It's in a very specific time and space. Non-local consciousness is opening to the possibility that consciousness transcends time and space that consciousness is on a continuum that can move backwards and forwards through time. And that can't, and that in a sense kind of permeates all space. So you simply need to focus on 
another place. And in a sense, your consciousness can tap into that place. And this is non-local consciousness is the idea behind the power of prayer or behind the power of healing, sending healing energy, or when groups get together to meditate and it affects the crime rate in the city positively, um, that's more non-local consciousness. And so there's so so we have these scientists and these modern day philosophers that are discussing what consciousness is from a very specific point of view from the point of view of science and reason and then we have um tradition so what do traditional teachings say about consciousness and we have the different spiritual and religious traditions and we have um i i tend to lean into the Buddhist tradition a lot because I I studied the the Indian tradition for decades and I find that there's such a systematized exploration of the mind in Buddhism that it's kind of easier for people interested in what consciousness is to kind of follow the exact prescription for it. Um, so it's very like it laid out in a very orderly fashion, but still somebody can say what they think consciousness is. And unless you're actually sitting down to meditate and exploring consciousness and having those experiences for yourself, you you're not going to necessarily believe what they're saying, or you're going to believe what somebody says about what consciousness is because it feels good to you, or it makes more sense to you. Right. So really we can't we can't completely measure consciousness with instrumentation and scientific analysis and mathematical equations and we can't completely measure consciousness with um storytelling we have to really experience it on our own and so there's we have the the conscious mind that we're using right now to discuss and to listen and to process and then we have the subconscious and the unconscious. And then we get into what is consciousness? Is it the mind? Is it the spirit? Is it the soul? What do all of those words mean? You know, it's like, it's, it's totally a can of worms and not any one person that I know living today has that answer. Yeah, see, and like it, it, what's always very like interesting to me is the times when you feel like you're you're connected with that. So like every time that I've done psychedelics and have done psychedelics to the point where you feel like you are disconnected from the physical representation of self, where you're kind of like in this, you know, in this. I don't know. And I don't know whether it's like a part of your, your heart, your mind, your soul, like your energy, whatever it is, but it just, it's like a disassociation with this physical body that I'm in, where it seems like this physical body has ceased to exist. And then I feel that that is that area where that, that exists in a, in a level that's a little bit different. I also feel that it like when I was fishing, where it's like that moment where you become awestruck. I feel it there because then you're not so focused on this 
physical representation. You're caught up in something that you can't really explain, but you know is profoundly affecting you, which I also, because I'm a big hugger, I always have been like my mom was. I feel like that's kind of what brought it into me is that like when you kind of just give somebody like the pat and go, you know, it's just like, well, yeah, that was, you're still very much in this physical experience. But when you hug somebody for long enough, as we know, there's this connection that develops. There's, you know, like this understanding of kind of when one person needs to let go or you feel them let go of something that they're harboring, but you can't really explain what that is, but you know when it happens. Mm -hmm. But again, so then that's kind of like that, that little bit of representation of those. And then when I was in um, um, a First Nation sweat lodge once, um, well, one of the times I was there and I went blind, my eyes swelled shut. And I realized that after I kind of got over the fear of it, like this was my opportunity to realize that there's so much past life than what you can actually just see. And once I understood that it was like a light switch went on, my vision was back, my eyes weren't swollen. It was like it happened in a split second. It was like the whole thing was gone. And it's like, so you have like all these little snippets, but the, but when I, when I see you smiling and I see the reaction of your face, because I know you have some stories like that, that have happened in your life where like, you understand like what that means, but to explain those, when people don't have those kind of um, situations come up in their life or, you know, people who don't want to physically embrace people or people who, you know, don't want to develop that connection with outside or take a psychedelic or try these different um, rituals and stuff that may be able to bring you to there is very hard to understand or to teach somebody or get them to understand what consciousness may mean from the most basic level of just how it feels when you think you are there, whether you know you are there or not, or what that actually is in, in a conscious reality. Mm. How about yourself? What are some stories when you feel like you've been connected? What are some of the environments when you feel connected with the the essence of what consciousness may mean to you personally? Well, I mean, it can happen in a moment, right? It just can happen in a moment. It just, it, it oftentimes will happen in nature, um, but it'll sometimes happen in meditation or it'll happen in a healing session. I mean, I do distance healing work with people all the time where they're somewhere and I'm somewhere else. And the information that I'm able to perceive or receive, however that happens, is phenomenal. Like, and, and the effect that it has on the person that I'm working, I mean, every single time I do that, it's magical. Some of the most profound um, communications I've experienced have been like, for example, when people are unconscious in the hospital or things that, you know, I've been injured and I can, I can understand what's happening on a subtle level to the body from that injury or um, being able to communicate through space with people and and hear what they're saying or and they're and and I'm, we're not talking you know there's so many different things there are those experiences like those transcendental or transcendent experiences where 
it's it's like there's no there's no perception of the body whatsoever there's just all that is like right there in that moment um there's just so many so many ways that things can arise that are out of our and so many things that can arise that are out of our kind of normal local conscious awareness you think that it's well i have a lot of questions on this specific thought line do you think that it's important to an individual and as humanity as a whole for people to regularly dabble into um a connective consciousness space do you think that like we are at a a disadvantage if people lose the environments where that they can get in and tap into that that consciousness of like how like we are describing now where things become just very physical like very in front of you very this computer is here this desk is here and we have this blunt look at life like do you think that we're at a disadvantage the more we lean towards that i do because the original because the illusion of separation is the primary cause of suffering in any of the profound you know teachings on the mind regardless of tradition it's the it's the focus on separation I am separate from you. You stay over there. I'm over here. And there's absolutely no connection at all because it like when, when any spiritual teacher, any yogi talks about states, we could say, I guess, because that's because we categorize things linearly. So in the more advanced states of meditative awareness, there is the recognition ultimately that we are not separate. And I can give you an example of how I have experienced this. I was doing a particular practice that um, was in a book that I was reading and um, I was driving down the street one day and the practice was on how we are all one. And there was a girl coming the other way in her car and we were going kind of slow. I don't know if we were near a stop sign or whatever, but I looked at her and I saw myself and it was wild. I was like, Oh my, it was just so profound because, and I recognized that that's truth because I was recognizing the same essence, the same energy animates all of us right and we're all connected through that and she was me and I was her and the look on her face I mean it looked (laughs) she looked a little freaked out you know I she probably felt something as well who knows but it was very very clear that that in that moment that that teaching is real and it's just a matter of perception I wonder if she's seen herself and you at that same I time. Too. I wonder that too. Yeah, I find that it's, um, I dabble with this concept of, you know, how much time, well, I, then this is where I always struggled defining what I think this actually means to me is like, 
I'm going to use it generically. Like how much time we should spend being connected with our consciousness and in that conscious like state. Like, is that where we're supposed to primarily live our lives? Are we supposed to dabble in that every once in a while? Like, you know, is it a place we need to go? You know, like it's how much of that do we need in our lives? And, And I say that because I am thoroughly convinced that my empathy and my compassion for myself and everything else in life, every other human being, like animal, tree, everything, the more that I am connected with my consciousness, the more that I am in environments that connect me with that conscious like experience, the more compassion that I have, which I believe is the root of like empathy and like just everything, like all things good. Um, And so then I get into this, like, well, why wouldn't you then want to primarily spend the majority of your time there if this is the result? And then you can kind of see like, well, now I understand why humanity is on the trajectory that it is because predominantly the majority of human beings are the seeking environments that are the furthest thing from tapping into your consciousness. And one thing that we do know in this world, especially right now, that empathy and compassion for one another is really at an all time low, Um, you know, which leads us into a lot of these situations that we get in, in life um, like where we see our species and stuff going, but um, like what, what's your perspective on, on like timeframes or like the amount of time that we should you know, spend in a day or in a week or in a month, like in these environments. On the person and what they have going on mentally and emotionally, because you can't force yourself to do that because it, you might not be able to handle it. It might not be the right timing or the right thing for you to be doing in that moment psychologically. Um, So you're getting into a lot of psychological predisposition here and um you're getting into that sort of like you're getting into ego versus connection and you're getting into what is talked about as karma so people people perceive karma as what comes around goes around or you know an eye for an eye or whatever but it's it's a incredibly complex um concept and like your karma may be that you're already set up to be able to to perceive that connection for whatever reasons and and you may be more driven to pursue that connection energetic even more than some other people um and and another thing you said was that the more that you tap into that consciousness, the more you find yourself in scenarios where you can tap into that consciousness. And that is precisely one of the ways that karma is taught to work. So it's very interesting to me that you said that because that's very clearly laid out in, in how in the very beginning teachings on karma. And so, you know, it's, it's just very different for everyone. 
Um, it, and if somebody doesn't want to call it karma, you can call it somebody's predisposition, somebody's personality. I mean, whatever you want to call it is that some people are just wired in such a way as to be more open to that. And some people need to take little baby steps. Thich Nhat Hanh, from what I've read of, of his teachings, it seemed to me to very clearly be in that state all the time. Um, I just recently took a course on the life of Buddha, the first Buddha, and he was constantly tempted throughout his life by a little devil on his shoulder. He called Mara. And so it's like the representation of the ego or of the old tapes that play in your mind, the self-doubt, the whatever it is, the self-criticism, whatever. Um, that isn't, you know, that is something that people have, some people have more of, and some people are able to recognize it for what it is and still live how they want to choose to be anyway, or, or to, to put themselves like in those situations where they have more of the connection and more of that more spacious awareness, more oneness awareness. Um, so I don't, I don't know that it just like any prescription for an herbal remedy is going to be a different prescription based on the person and what they're going through and their, you know, their environment, what they're eating, what their constitution is. Same thing with this kind of thing. Like you just can't say that everybody should be like in conscious, like spacious conscious awareness, eight hours a day or 24 hours a day or whatever it is, because everyone's got such different conditions. Do you think one of the things that kind of makes it a little bit scary for people to go there is because we fundamentally also come to this realization of like how much of our lives right now and the things we're doing aren't really worth living for? That makes it scary to do what? Well, just because that's the experience that I have whenever I'm tapped into like that what I perceive to be a little bit more of a conscious state and then having conversations with people like yourself and a lot of other people in my life like what is one thing that you know you kind of take away from being in that state is realizing that like you know the size of the house doesn't really matter you know like the size of the bank account doesn't really matter the car doesn't really matter like the school doesn't really matter like the all these things that we've created in our lives that we leverage that should matter the most. Like these are the things that success, happiness, representations of me, you know, representations of like how driven I am in life, representations of like all these different avenues. We've fundamentally come to a head of me like, well, it actually doesn't really matter what's on my t-shirt as long as I have a t-shirt. It really doesn't matter what car I drive as long as I can reliably get from point A to point B. It doesn't necessarily matter how much money I have at the bank as long as I can live comfortably. Like, you know, these kind of things that um, I've noticed that it, it forces people to really come to like this, this realization of like, Matt, like, I think I actually might be living my life for all of the wrong reasons in which is really hard for people to come to that place and, and realize those things. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of things that's hard to come to when you engage on that kind of a path of being. 
Um, and that's the reason I said it question it's when you when you bring up the C word consciousness, it causes you to have to question your beliefs. And I mentioned about the soul, about God, but it, and that ties into all of the above that you just said. It makes you quite, you have to be willing to question everything to find the truth and to, and yes, it's, it, it may be, it is, I think a deterrent. I think some people um, are open to it. And then once it starts dredging up all these things, then yeah, it's scary. And it's, you know, part of it, it's destabilizing to a social order. Could you imagine if everybody just decided to come to that space all of a sudden? And especially like generally all at the same time or the majority of people in the world all at the same time, which you see in those big meditation practices and places like Thailand and stuff where they have all those kids, thousands and thousands and thousands of kids all meditating at the same time. Do you imagine if there was something like that where people got together where there was millions and millions of people all tapping into that environment at the same time. Yeah. 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 See, and the one thing for me, I think the, when I kind of understand that I, that I'm kind of, I don't know, air quotes there or in the zone or, you know, tapping into my consciousness is I feel like I really lose the understanding of time, Mm. you know, where it's like those moments where it's like, where did that last 10 minutes go? Or, you know, like what happened to an hour? Like, oh, I can't believe that it's three o'clock in the afternoon already today. Or, you know, like things like that, where we lose our relative understanding of our place in what we've created as time. And when I'm in those places, like it, you realize that we've created so many like externalities that control our lives and the way we think and how we perceive situations when there actually isn't a whole lot there like we can we can live very very happily in a place where there really isn't a whole lot you know because like all these things kind of cease to exist and what we're left with is like this this abundance of understanding and gratitude for like energy you know, maybe like the, like for a lack of better, like descriptive words, yeah, it just, I know it's hard to find that, a word for a lot of these things. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and that's like what we talked about, you know, before we started recording and, you know, even at the beginning of us saying that we're going to start talking about this is that it's like, this is, I feel like one of the, I don't know, like kind of problems with consciousness is like, how do you actually articulate what you feel or what you think or like what that experience is? Because like every profession has, you know, like you said, like mathematicians have tried, physicists have tried, you know, um, you know, like, like all of these different, you know, professions have tried to define like what this may be. But then there's always this other component to take into consideration, which derails everybody's theory about like what consciousness actually is. Because we haven't even got into like the component of how we're only talking about like human consciousness, but what does this mean when we're really in a conscious like state where now we feel very connected with the environment around us? Mm. Have you ever been in one of those conscious like states where it seems like you're very much a part of the environment around you and Mm -hmm. it's more of like 
you are a part of something that is a whole and you realize that you may just be like an atom um, in this thing that's actually a whole. Yeah. I felt one time like I was a grain of sand on the ground looking up at the redwoods. Really? Yeah. Wow, that must have been incredible. Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways you're, you, you can, there's so, there's so much. There's just so much. You think deja vu is connected with uh, consciousness? I think it's like little like windows, little snippets into like what might be going on somewhere else in the world right now or what people think like it may be something in the past or or parallel reality or something like that. And the, and what you're talking about that transcending time is like a fourth state. Because we can be in the past, the present, the future, or no time. It's it's such an interesting thing to think about now because our lives are dominated by the concept of time. What time is it? Is it morning? Is it evening? Is it afternoon? Is it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday? You know, like, is it March or April or May? Yep. Do you think that the the creation of actual, like the creation of the concept of time started a shift of people being disconnected from a more conscious-like state? I don't know. Maybe. Because when you become so much more aware of this, because again, like I feel like time We've created it to be this physical thing, you know, very much like, the, again, like this computer, this desk, this house, you know, like time has become time. daylight savings time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like all these, you know, all these things we've, we have found to be able to manipulate these things. And, and again, like, you know, I always kind of come back to like when things are really simple, when things are really pure, like that hug, like that standing in the river, you know, like those, like those moments where, like the chatter is gone, you know, like in, in things have become very quiet. And then we really start to explore those, which would be the same thing as when you're meditating, when you kind of closed all those doors and windows and you're meditating and you feel like you're there and you're very connected with drowning out all the noise and just being very present with who you are as a human being. That's always a representation representation to me is like, that's when like time is kind of standing still, or we forgot about like the concept of time. So it seems like that it may be that through the concept of time, we've shifted our focus on like to the physical versus to the, um, I guess to the, uh, and again, like, I don't even know, I would say like reactionary or like the, like that space. I I know this subject always kind of gets my mind into this place where eventually I'm like, I actually don't even know what to think anymore. I don't right. even know what to say. Yeah. I always yeah. work myself into that because like, I feel like I'm like a lot of other people. Like I want to have an answer that I believe, you know, right. that I've been able to define what this means. And then I always get to a place where I just feel stumped and I'm like, I don't even know what else to say. But that's the ego at play, right? That's our attachment to having to know. And, and, um, the ego is sort of the, so it's like what we're wired for, right? So at a very rudimentary level, we are wired from what we've learned throughout evolution 
to not stray from what our family, what our tribe, what our clan believes, how they behave, what their expectations are. Like we're wired to fit into a certain mold. And when we start thinking outside of what we've been taught or what those expectations for us are, it's terrifying for a lot of people. Um, because it's, because your, your mind doesn't actually understand that it's safe to do that because historically it wasn't safe to do that. And maybe at the time we were forming, you know, the, who was ego always there? Was that always like a condition of, of humanness or do animals have an ego? Like what it's like, we just don't know. And, and it, and that ties into the whole time thing as well. Like, are we wired to say, okay, that happened then this is now, and then we're going to migrate over there at this other time. Like it's hard to know, right. If time was always a concept that we were operating in or not. Yeah, it's funny how you brought in like the the animal component because um, this is a conversation that I've had in the past. If that because we have the ability to be able to create labels like things like ego, so then we say like, do animals or other um, you know like biological life like do they have an ego, but that's like a very self-driven term of humanity because we've created a label for something Mm -hmm. and is a fish who swims up river, jumps over the waterfalls and gets all the way up to this flying ground. Is that a representation of ego in a different form? Because they don't have a way to be able to gloat necessarily to the fish that didn't make it. But it is a representation of ego because it is an acceleration of what other fish could not do. So they became the more successful ones. If they had the ability to be able to turn around and look at the fish that didn't make it and smirk at them and then swim away, you know, like, but like, are, do we, do we perceive it to be a little bit different or like, say like a gorilla standing up and pounding on his chest for whatever reason, you know, maybe just kind of feels like there's a, a surge of testosterone flowing through his body at the moment where he stands up to do it. But like, is that um, a subconscious representation of ego? Because, you know, maybe this grill is not standing up for the reasons we perceive it to be or standing for any other reasons, but like the pounding of the chest shows dominance, whether you're trying to show dominance or not. Like it, it's a really hamster wheel kind of conversation and stuff like when it comes to like what, animal or other biological ego may mean in those environments because we've created a human label for that and we want to pick that out in other environments or is this that then when we get into we know too much and we've become too advanced for our own good and we've created a label for something because we've understood we could exercise this emotion at times when it's not just raw and organic you know or like just I'm traveling from point A to point B and for no other reason, I just happened to start running faster. 
because there's this distance to be traveled, me not thinking I have to get there by four, you know, before the concept of time, but just knowing there's a distance to travel and I might just start to jog simply because my body has the ability to be able to do it, you know? So like, like, I, I don't know, like this is always where like my mind really starts to reel when it comes in into this, because I do think that humans have worked themselves into a, a perplexing corner of we know too much and we want to define too much. I think like, that, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I, I, that's the end of my thought. Just in like, I, I, I see how it kind of ruins humanity to a certain extent when we want to be able to define, because like everything now needs a label, like literally everything, like, like you can't just, you have to be a human of some category. You can't just be in category human. Like you need to be a human in a category, like in this subcategory of humans. Like um, I did. So like that, that's my thought. So you, you go ahead. Tell me, tell me if you think I'm crazy. And this is our last conversation. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, I think that the answers are there. I think that the power of contemplation is very strong and the willingness to be open to have the answer arrive. And like, if you just picked one of those things instead of going, and then this, and then this, and then that, right. If you made a conscious decision to pick one of those questions and to contemplate it until you had an answer, I would be very surprised if you didn't have an answer in a day. Um, So, and that's the thing, like, we have to, in order to really understand these things, I think we have to make it a priority that if we, like that we want to, because, and then we have to set aside the time to do the practices and engage to put ourselves in the environments that allow for that information to be in our awareness. We have to have those experiences in order to have the answers, even if we don't have the right word for it. You know, it's, I don't, I don't think that we can at this point with the technology that we have and the limitations that we have because of the way we've boxed everything in, I don't think that we can truly understand what consciousness is without individually exploring it on our own without trying to believe what someone else told us or or to we can't go into an exploration of consciousness with the intention of proving right what we want to believe is truth we have to be willing to let there be a complete disintegration of anything that we believe, any concepts, any labels, all of it. And I think that's the only way that we can truly know. You think this is, I, one of my really good friends, him and I, like we, we talk very much. We have these kind of conversations all the time. And, um, a question that we've kind of kicked back and forth amongst each other a few times is, do you ever think that 
the conscious individual will take back the world? Conscious individual isn't setting out to take back the world. Which isn't what you asked, yeah. I know, but it's a yeah. point that we need I know, to I know exactly what you mean, you know, because obviously there's a, you know, a conscious individual as a, a disillusion or a, a, a dissolved ego-like state. And it's like their quest would never to be that. I guess it's more, do you think that there'll ever be a time when the air quotes powers to be recognize the advantage of being in a conscious like state and they dissolve their own egos to be able to create this world that's a lot more of a conscious connected community i don't know that that's possible i mean it's possible like The, like it's as possible as um what the percentages of dying for COVID are is a healthy individual point zero 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 six. It's it's probably less possible than that because the forces, the force that we call the ego, is so strong. It's so strong, even in people that are trying to be better people. Yeah, and I guess that all comes from the very first person that decided that it was a good idea to try to take over the world. And then everybody's just been trying, we're not everybody, um, humanity for the most part has been trying to just do that ever since that very first person. Why is that happening? Is that happening because the person has psychological imbalance and they're charismatic enough to get people to follow them? Is it happening because God told them to, or I mean, whatever they'd say, is it happening because that's a natural instinct that's really strong in some people? Like, why is that happening? That's- I think I, I often ask myself this question and I honestly think that it's a percentages game. So I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. So in when you're talking seven plus billion people, there's going to be a lot of wires crossed in a lot of those human beings across that seven billion people. And it's only natural that at some point in time, there's going to be enough of those people that, you know, gain an equitable position in life where they can start having influence or they gain like a, a a socioeconomic perspective or position in life where then they can start having like influences like that. And it really steers and reshapes the world because when you look at it, how, if it feels so good, if we understand the abundance of good that it, that can come out of, a dissolving your ego and being in a more conscious like state, you would have to believe that there's got to be some kind of wires crossed in whatever part of the mind, body, or soul that would lead people to do and exacerbate the opposite, which is, you know, again, like we're, did we ever need really to like advance the telephone from, you know, the phone on the wall with the hand crank holding the thing up to your ear. Like, did it ever really need to get more than that? Or I guess like, did it really ever need to get more than mailing a letter? 
you know, we still had the ability to be able to communicate with people anywhere in the world with those two very simple things, you know, so then what makes it go substantially far past that or, you know, like what all the G7 countries are doing now is to trying to create this one global society, this, you know, like one global banking system, one global everything with the World Economic Forum. And it's like, well, that's great if you're doing it in context to what we're talking about. It's not great if it's rooted in the foundation of money and power and control, you know, and like this is, so what makes people want to devise a plan and spend decades carrying that out how could the wires not be crossed and it's like i wouldn't even want to believe that that person may be operating in a conscious like state i would want to believe that their wires are crossed because like i don't believe that that's what humanity represents in its in its best most purest form i don't know I mean, the striving you're talking about is like the nature of the mind. It's a, it's an, it's an aspect of evolution. It's a force of nature that exists, and 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 it propels us. And it's very much going against how we are wired in in a in a sense, in many ways, to to actually explore consciousness to the degree that you're talking about. Um, I know we're kind of getting a little bit skinny on time and I don't want to forget to, uh, to, to tell you this. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. It turns out that I've had COVID maybe more than once. I didn't even know. I got a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, wow. Like it, it blows, uh, it blows my mind. Like I've had to read that report a few times because it's not like your typical, um, uh, antibody test, like, you know, like this research scientist, he came up with this, like a very enhanced model, um, compares to what the, the typical testing is. And, uh, I was like, huh, I'm like, well, that makes a lot of sense. I'm like, there, I always thought, I'm like, there's no way with the amount of traveling that I do in the places that I go that I haven't got COVID at some point in time. Well, this is what drives me nuts when they say, We need to learn, like, there's just an article yesterday or something. It said, we need to learn from the people who didn't get COVID, like their immune system has the key to explaining, you know, what the rest of us need to do or what. I talked about this months ago too. And I said that I feel like I should be a lab rat for not getting it. Right. And I, and I thought, I'm like, I, I just can't grasp that these people haven't gotten it. It just makes absolutely statistically makes absolutely no sense. It, it's just that they didn't test positive for it. It doesn't mean they didn't get it. Right. And you're living proof. Well, and so like for me, like what I look back at it, like I would have been a statistic if I was a little bit more of a hypochondriac, I think, you know, because like, right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because even like, like right now I'm like, like, I feel great. Like, I I really feel great. But I'm like, eh, you know, like, can I lay down, you know, maybe for like a 10 minute nap here on the floor with the sun coming in the window because it feels great? Like, probably, you know, but I've also, I was up till 1130 last night and I got up at four to work out because my day just started so early today 
um, that I had no choice but to get up at four instead of 4.30 to get, you know, like the stuff that I want to get done in a day, like, you know, workouts and sauna, that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm like, I also know a lot of people the same way. There's like, man, you know, it's just like, I feel so run down right now. I'm going to go get a COVID test. And I'm like, it's Friday. It's been raining for two weeks. Like, you know, like you eat like shit. You don't work. Of course you feel like crap. Why would you get a COVID test based on at no other point in time? Would you ever got tested to see if you have an illness of some kind, because you feel run down when you were generally asymptomatic. But I think that's what really created all this is just like the, the over testing of like asymptomatic people. Cause like I said, I could justify going and getting a test probably multiple times, but like, I just never did. Cause I, I never felt bad or I never felt like that out of the ordinary, but I'm sure that there's probably a point in time where I could have been like, well, you know, maybe I should go get a test, but just, it wasn't significant enough to be able to like tell me that I should go and do that. And then, you know, subsequently since then I've had like, you know, four or five PCR tests and stuff like that, that have all came back negative since, you know, like December. But um, I I find it, I I find it like with like what you were saying, like obviously everybody's going to get exposed to it, but like what this comes back to me is, you know, like it's obviously something that we can live with. Like, I know people get sick and I know some people have died and I, I understand that, but I know in BC alone, more people have died of, you know, opioids than what people have died in all of Canada from COVID. So, you know, like to me, like those are things that are more concerning, but, um, I just find it, uh, I find it kind of funny, I guess, for lack of a better analogy that I had COVID and, or got exposed to COVID and more than once and had no idea. So. I'm a part of the club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, really cool, uh, information that you, how did you find that, that lab? So when I talked to my, uh, natural path, when the, um, so in Canada and we still have this absurd rule that you can't travel interprovincially by plane, train, or bus unless if you're vaccinated. Insane. So on December 1st, when that all came about, when I went to my natural bathroom, I'm like, I want to seek getting a medical exemption for the COVID vaccine. And she was just like, well, there happens to be a doctor uh, or a research scientist wanting to be able to formulate a new testing protocol or like a new technology that's a lot better than what's currently being used right now. And she connected me um, with him. And uh, that's how I found out about the the study and stuff like that to be able to develop this new technology. But uh, it's, um, yeah, I, I find that it goes back to like what we were talking about before with, with like consciousness. It's almost, it's like knowing too much, you know, like to, to, because we have the ability to be able to find out more. And that's what I find the funny part about it is like knowing that I had it I only, for me, for my selling case of like, well, I have natural antibodies now, it goes more to like why I don't want to get um, the vaccine. But what does it actually prove? Like in my day-to-day life, what does it prove that I was exposed to COVID at some point in time over the last like couple of years, more than once? Like it, it doesn't mean anything. So again, like, because I had the ability to be able to find out this information, now I have to leverage an opinion on this information when it's so irrelevant because it didn't affect my life at all. Well, there's your opinion. 
Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but it's just like, but I think a lot of things are like that. And like I said, that's why I said that when we were talking about like consciousness too, that like we just, we have the ability to know too much, process too much and understand too much. And maybe if we peeled back like the, the cognitive onion skins a little back to be able to simplify things in the way that we perceive life, life might be a little bit easier in itself. Agreed. Well said. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, let's wrap things up and uh, okay. you can carry on about your day. And I just, I always appreciate it. I know that this conversation is really going to make me think for hours afterwards. Anytime that I get into these kind of conversations, I always do, but I just, I value you and I value your time so much and thank you for spending so much time with me on such a regular basis thank you it's my pleasure okay. have a wonderful day